0: chapter 6 of the hawk of egypt by joan conquest Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain chapter 6 a mother is a mother still the holiest thing alive coleridge may the blessing of allah who is god be upon thee o woman the sonorous words of the benediction rang through the room as hugh cardan ali stood with the silken curtain drawn back in one hand and the right raised in blessing upon his mother who stood with arms outstretched in the centre of the room. Then he knelt to receive the benison of the woman he loved, smiled when he felt the small hands upon his head, and leaping to his feet swung her up in his arms, covering her face with kisses. "'You beautiful darling,' he said, as he crushed her up, to the derangement of her perfumed silks and satins and many jewels, "'it's just heavenly coming back to you, you dear understanding mother.' The woman's heart leapt to battle, for in the last words, in the way her beloved son looked down upon her in the tone of his voice, she knew that somewhere out in the world he had received a hurt. She knew so little of him, had only had him for such a little little while under the influence of her love and in the shelter of her heart, and she loved him, her firstborn, with a love beyond words." Thinking to do the best for him, and making the biggest mistake of all, beating down her beloved husband's opposition, she had sent the boy to England, and in the subsequent eight years had only seen him twice. "'He is of the East, woman of my heart. Behold, I have studied him,' had said the Sheikh, all those years ago. "'Let him be, else evil may befall him.' But Jill, his beautiful wife, had insisted, and his love for her being beyond telling, the great Arab had submitted to her wish." For so it had been written. And what can be the outcome of the tragic mixing of blood? Nothing but pain. Come to the roof and talk, mother, under the stars. So up the marble staircase, with his arm about her waist, to the roof they went, where the silken awnings lay folded and the scented white flowers hung asleep. They stood under the canopy of purple night studded with flashing, silvery points, as the soft winds carried them, the notes of a guitar softly thrummed in the shade of the palms. "'It is Mary, dear,' happily whispered the woman. "'She came with me to welcome you.' And then she clasped her hands at the blaze of anger which swept the man's face. "'Most gracious mother, I am master of my house, and save for your ever-esteemed, ever-desired presence, I cannot have woman set foot in it without my consent.' "'When I have the desire for one as a wife, plaything, or servant, then I will give orders. "'But Hugh, Mary is your sister. "'Mary is my sister, and I do not deem it wise or seemly that she should run about the country "'at her own wish or whim. "'But Hugh—dear, let me speak. "'I saw so much of women in Europe that the yashmak, the burku, the seclusion and modesty "'of the East, have become dear to me above all else.' Have you forgotten, dear, the restaurants, the theatres, the parks, and, Allah, the streets? The half-stripped bodies, the craving for excitement, the wine, the nights turned into day. Why, one has but to stretch the hand, for flowers to be laid therein. The feet trip at every step with the trap of woman's hair. The quarry stands waiting for the arrow. There is not even the incentive of the chase, the hot pursuit, the lust of the kill. I speak as my father's son, and in my house I will have privacy and seclusion and seemliness. Women shall be brought to me when I desire their presence. And the steeliness of the voice brought the woman up sitting as he gave her an order cloaked in the guise of a favour begged. And I shall be glad if you will ask my sister to keep within the women's quarters until I send for her. But— and she ripped the corner of her veil between perturbed fingers when upon the clapping of hands a slave ran swiftly to learn his master's pleasure then hastened away to find the head body-woman of the guest-house assigned to women visitors after which the sweet thrumming of the guitar instantly stopped on more than one night they talked under the stars sitting on satin cushions or leaning on the marble fretwork of the balustrade looking due east to where so many miles away flows the blue-green nile as it has flowed through the centuries all unheeding of the passing of many kingdoms and yet had the mother learned nothing of the hurt reflected in her firstborn's eyes most precious mother he was saying as he stood flicking the pages of the latest illustrated paper just arrived from cairo but which was really a volume of the Book of Life, written, printed, and published by fate. If it pleases you to stay while I am gone, will you do so just as long as you find happiness in my dwelling? You are going, Hugh, so soon, for long? There has come a report of lion in the Nubian desert, as far north as Deir el-Bahari. I can hardly believe it, for it is years and years since a lion has been even seen in the Korbakara. However, a runner from Nubia came in this morning, so there may be something in it. God grant it, for the sport and the danger would be great, killing or be killed in the rocks and ruins of the temple. Also I could visit my tents of purple and of gold. How long shall I be gone, sweet mother? That is known only to Allah, to whom our goings and our comings are as the drifting of the sands. Your tents are very beautiful, my son. The servants are waiting for your orders before pitching the, the middle one, Without asking permission I went to inspect them. Just before your return, just to see if everything was quite all right. One can never quite trust the servants. Jill might have been sitting on a rectory lawn, talking about her linen cupboard or spring cleaning with a neighbour, instead of one of the wonders of modern Egypt. In fact, so quaint was it that the man laughed and swung her on to the balustrade. "'I'm not surprised father worships the ground your ridiculous little feet tread on, mater,' he said, causing his mother to gasp. So English did he sound, so Oriental did he look. "'Dear,' she said gently, as she scrutinized him with a mother's eyes, and touched his face and patted his cheek, and pulled a bit here and there at his fine white linen coat, upon which, in coarse thread, was embroidered the hawk of old Egypt. "'Dear, don't you think you would be happier if you were to marry and settle down?' and it was then that there came to her the full explanation of the hurt reflected in her firstborn's eyes. "'I shall never marry, dear,' very gently replied the man, so fearful he was of causing pain to the woman who had borne him. "'I—I—you see, I cannot.' "'Cannot, Hugh? But, dear, what is the matter? You will have to, some day, you know. You are your father's eldest son.' answered the woman, who, wrapped in perfect love and happiness, had never given a thought to the far-reaching effects of her marriage with the Arabian. Dear son, there are so many beautiful, cultured, gentle women here and at home. I mean in England. You—Mother, please! Oh, mother, you don't understand. Dear heavens, you don't understand. Listen. How I wish my father, whom I honour, were here to comfort you. Forgive me, dear, forgive me for the pain I must cause you— and the woman went white to the lips under a sudden blinding flash of understanding, and her proud eyes dropped to the hands clenched in her lap. I want to marry, mother of mine. He spoke in the Arabian tongue, which is so attuned to love. For, behold, love, in the space of an hour, has grown within me. The floods of love drown me, the full-blossomed trees of passion throw their shade upon the surging waters, and, behold, the shade is that of tenderness, From the midst of the flood, where I am like to drown, I stretch my arms toward the rocky shore where stands, looking towards me, the desire of my soul. Behold, my eyes have seen her, and behold, she is white, with hair like the desert at sunset, and eyes even as the pools of Lebanon. She is as a rod to be bent, and as a vase of perfume to be broken upon a night of love. And I love her, her, out of all women, "'a doe to be hunted at dawn, "'a mare to be spurred through the watches of the night. "'Hugh! "'I love her as my father loved you, "'my father, of whom I am the eldest son, "'son of a high-born father, "'son of a high-born mother. "'Outcast! Outcast! "'For pity's sake, Hugh, stop!' "'But the storm swept on, "'tearing the veil from the woman's eyes. "'Behold, I care not for the plucking of garden blossoms. "'Therefore are the beautiful, docile women of the East "'not for me.' and the thorns upon the hedge of convention defied, the barbed wires of racial distinction keep me from the hedgerow flower, born of the wind and the sky and the summer heat, which I covet. Among men I am nothing. I may not claim equality with the scavenger of the western streets, or with the donkey-boys of the eastern bazaar. Here I am served with fear and servility, being a man of riches. Across the waters I may sun myself in the smiles of women, as long as I have no desire to wed. He suddenly seized the woman, holding her in a grip of iron, which left great bruises on her arms. Do you know what she called me, mother? That harlot of a line of noblemen? What she flung in my teeth? Because, seeing in her a woman of the streets hidden under the cloak of marriage, I refused to be tempted? There fell a terrible silence, and then a few whispered words. She called me a half caste mother. Me? A half caste and the mother fell at her son's feet and bowed her head to the ground, and he swept her up into his arms, raining kisses upon the piteous face. "'I don't blame you, sweetheart mother,' he said in English, while she sobbed on his heart. "'Am I not the fruit of a brave woman's great love? Could there be anything finer than that? But my father in me made my whole body clamour for the desert when I was in England. My mother in me makes my heart throb for the desert for just one hour of her cool, misty country— one hour on a hilltop in which to watch the pearl-gray dawn. "'Dearest, dearest, don't sob so. It is a case of two affirmatives making a negative, two great nationalities, decried, derided, rendered null and void in their offspring, through the dictates of those who, in religion, prate that we are all brothers. I have just got to stick it, my mother, and life is not very long. But I shall never marry.' And as he spoke, fate flicked a page of an illustrated paper, which was but the volume of the Book of Life, and perhaps only a mother's eyes would have noticed the sudden tightening of the hand upon the marble of the balustrade, as the man looked down into the pictured beauty of the woman he loved. And, having read what had been written, he knelt to receive his mother's blessing. To the tents of purple and gold, my darling? she asked, smiling so bravely to hide her breaking heart. Not just yet, dear, a bit further, north first, I think. For long, "'I do not know, dear. Bless me, O my mother.' She blessed him, and called to him as he stood at the head of the marble stairway. "'Come back to me, my son. That, O woman, is in the hands of Allah, who is God.' And he turned and left her, and she, having wept her heart out and her beautiful eyes dim, took up the illustrated paper, which was a volume of the Book of Life, and turned the pages. "'Ah!' she said. "'How beautiful!' It was just a simple photograph of Damaris at a tennis tournament, and underneath the information that the most popular and beautiful visitor in Cairo would celebrate her birthday in a week's time, that in honour of the occasion her godmother, the Duchess of Longacres, had issued invitations for a fancy-dress ball, after which social event she and her goddaughter would proceed to the Desert Palace Hotel, Heliopolis. "'I wonder,' whispered Jill, "'I wonder if she would come to see me.' She was always such a wise old woman. I wonder if there is a way out. And she stretched her arms out towards the desert. Hamad, she called. Beloved, I love you, and my heart is breaking. And she lifted her head and listened to the sound of many horses running, then bowed her head and wept. The dawn was nigh to breaking, and yet the parade of horses was not finished, whilst the trainer, the head-groom, the stud-groom, the under-grooms, and the rank and file of the stables tore their beards, or their hair, as they endeavoured to please their master, whilst they waited anxiously for the return of the man who had been hurriedly sent to fetch in the mare, Piquet, who was out to grass, and as wild as a bird on the wing. Singly, or in pairs, every priceless quadruped had been put through its paces upon the track of tan imported from England. Three coal-black stallions, brothers to el Sultan, even then in Cairo, and famous throughout Egypt, tore past him like a cyclone and left him indifferent. A chestnut brood-mare, whose price was above that of many rubies, trotted up at his call and snuffed a welcome in his sleeve, searched for a sugar in his hand and found it, and whinnied gently when he turned away. Bays, piebalds, roans, greys, trotted, galloped, jumped, whilst their master smoked endless cigarettes, and the stud-groom prayed fervently to Allah. "'By the patience of the prophet!' the master suddenly cried, turning on the man. "'Hast thou nothing else?' is there no jewel amongst my horses hast thou not in all my stables one of the al a descendant of the mares who found favour in the eyes of mohammed the prophet of allah who is god the mare aliyah has she been perchance as sterile as thy wits and then he stopped short and stood in silence watching the loveliest picture any human could wish to see picking up her dainty feet as though she walked upon hot stones tossing her proud little head with big, gentle eyes, spreading nostrils, and fine, small ears, almost touching at the tips, mane flowing, tail set high and spread, came the snow-white mare, Piquet. Allah! but the loveliness of that as she stood, thoroughbred, perfect, as proud as any queen, as scornful as any spoiled beauty, as confused at the sight of her master as any bride. Ten yards away and motionless, she stood from this man who seemed to take no notice of her, and then she wheeled and flung up her heels, then stopped and looked at him along her satin flank, and, piqued with his indifference, suddenly sped out into the desert. Then, softly, melodiously, the man's voice called her, ringing like a bell under the lightning sky, and, behold, love awoke in the mare's heart, and she turned and raced back towards him, longing for his hand and the grip of his knees upon her but with her feet upon the tan she turned back upon him and danced across towards the coal-black stallions, causing their grooms to hold on to them with both hands. Then she came back to circle around the man, who seemingly took no notice of her vagaries, not even when she reared just behind him, pawning the air, nor when she lashed out at a humble sais, missing him by a hair, until at last, overpowered by curiosity and love, Curveting, rearing, throwing her feet, and making a frightful to-do over nothing at all, she came up close, oh, very close, and whinnied gently. With one hand clutching the silvery mane, and in one bound he was across the bare back, and away with her into the desert, gripping her with his knees, calling to her by every love-name he could think of. And out there, alone in the desert, at the hour of prayer, he slipped from her, and turning towards Mecca, raised his hands to heaven. O God of the West, O Allah of the East, give me one single hour of love. And the mare, Piquet, wonderful in her beauty, raced from him far out into the desert, leaving him alone with his God, then stood quite still, with fine, small ears pricked, waiting for the call she knew would come. And when it came, ringing over the golden sand, she raced back to him and pushed against him, until he sprang upon her and turned her towards the East. By the war-horses, he cried, quoting from Al-Quran, which run swiftly to battle, with a panting noise, and by those who strike fire by dashing their hooves against the stones, and by those who make a sudden invasion on the enemy early in the morning, and therein raise the dust, and therein pass through the midst of the adverse troops, by the message of the great book and by my love I will rest one hour from life." and urging the mare with the whip of love to the uttermost of her wonderful speed, he thundered back across the path of sand, which was to be trodden by his feet alone, in spite of the plots which Zulana, the courtesan, was even then weaving about him, to her own advancement. End of chapter 6 Read by Sibella Denton For more information, please visit LibriVox.org